0: what's up and welcome to shop sounds a woodworking podcast about nothing with myself nick key of key woodworks jason hibbs of bourbon moth and keith johnson better known as kj sawdust all three of us are on youtube instagram and tiktok all right, folks, this episode is yet again sponsored
1: by our band of merry men and women at Bits and Bits. And in case you haven't seen their latest viral TikTok, Bits and Bits takes the great quality of Whiteside Router bits and CNC bits, which are made right here behind these no orange cone protected borders, and fricassees said bits in their own special Astra coating to get them all the way up to 11. And this sweet and tangy coating not only tastes great on your Salisbury Steak TV dinners, but it also allows for higher speeds and feed rates and extends the life of the bit by up to three times. Oh, and Bits and Bits also makes their very own CNC bits, because why outsource that stuff to Fiverr when you can right-click and change that drop-down menu to CNC, (laughs) am I right?
0: The Fiverr.
1: And those Mm. CNC bits, which I just mentioned... Are for metal, wood, plastics, and foam and include 1 18th, 1 quarter, half inch for those big boy cuts. And in case you've been vaccinated and forget who you are every time someone fires up the microwave, <laughs> Bits and Bits is also a fully lined Festool dealer. Pretty much everything's back ordered until July or August or until that money burning a hole in your pocket was already spent on scratch tickets and you won't be able to afford it anyway but don't let that stop you from placing your order and securing your spot on the list. And they still do have plenty of accessories available like sandpaper clamps, dominoes, etc. So go check out all their offerings at bitsbits.com. I don't think you'll be disappointed. And if you go to bitsbits.com and use coupon code MORSELS15, that's M-O-R-S-E-L-S-1-5, you can save 15% on your next order of router mm-hmm. or CNC bits. Mm-hmm. Whew, take right. it away, Jason.
2: All right. New patrons. Here we go. I'm just going to go through. We got a lot this time, and I'm sure I'll butcher some of these names. We got uh, Dave, McKenzie, oh, totally <laughs> D- Dave McKinsey. Oh, nah, that's uh, totally wrong. Dave McKinsey. Now we're talking. Matt Hale. Mike Wellner, Nick Ryan. Israel Chen. Sorry, the N for a second. It looked like an R and an I next to each other, and I got really worried. Um, Dan Gilbert, Graham Baird. Yeah? Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. And then we had one patron who decided to up their game and go up to the top tier, and that is Chris Nyoki. Is that right? <laughs> Nyoki, Or is it not Nach- Nache. Knock. Noche. Um, I'd say knock. I like knock. No- knock. <laughs> yeah, I think the K I is pronounced. I feel like he DM'd me the last time I messed this up. Maybe I could think of someone else because I mess up a bunch of names. Anyways, yeah. I'm also gonna read off our returning top tier patrons because we want to give them a huge thanks. And there's quite a list here, so just bear with me. We got Corey Miller. We got Andreas Yeah. <laughs> We got Robert Trowbridge, Cody Walters, Aaron Maccabee, Jamie Ramirez, Michael Radabaugh, Chris Jacobson, Yono Reich. Reich. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Jordan Ward, (laughs) Davin, not David, Davin Holmes, Ben Fuller, Nicholas Fairfield, Michael Olson, MJ, not Mike, Prohorahoff, Alex Johnson, Nick Leonard, and... Well, the last one's blank because that could be you if you're listening and <laughs> want to be a top tier. See how I just rolled into that? Was, wow, that was nice. Because I thought there was us. more on the list, and I no. <laughs> there wasn't. You had but
1: me on the edge of my seat.
2: If you're not a patron and you want to sign up and you get access to our after show and you get a sticker and if you're top tier, you get a t-shirt. Well, then you can go to patreon.com/slash/shopsoundspodcast and sign up, and you'll be a great friend
1: of ours. That's right, close
2: personal friend. That sounds nice. Yeah.
1: All right. That's all I got. Um, All right. Well, it is my pleasure, because we have a guest tonight, to introduce tonight's guest. He's someone, he may not even know this, that I look up to a great deal, and I'm proud to call him a friend. He is a knife maker, a blacksmith, a welder, a fabricator, a chef, sculptor, painter, star of IG Stories Tales from the Broiler, Epicurious star. He's been featured in various print articles uh, he's co-host of the number one knife podcast in the world i've sampled his award-winning paella and no that's not a euphemism he refuses <laughs> to go on forged in fire until they agree to all of his rider demands he's COVID orthodox <laughs> he was once a phone a friend of a guest who was on who wants to be a millionaire but he never got the call ladies and gentlemen please welcome all the way from peak Skill to
3: peak Skill, new york Jeff Bader.
4: Ooh. That's, yeah.
3: That's un- unbelievable. You brought me in hard. That was <laughs> unbelievable.
1: Wow. I know. That was extremely Holy detailed cow. and really uh, left. I mean, the, the interview's kind of over now. There's really, I kind of explained yeah, it all. Well I mean, there?
3: I hit yeah. everything. I'm overwhelmed. I really appreciate you guys having me on, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah. yeah nice thanks for,
2: being thanks for joining now, us. I got to be honest right up front, Jeff, that I um, I'm not familiar with you as a person. I just want to throw that out there, so that I'll probably be asking a lot of silly questions that I should know the answer to. But I just pulled up your Instagram page, so while the others talk, I'm going to do some research and dive into your background and really learn who you are better than what Keith well, just said.
3: I appreciate what you're saying. I appreciate that. I appreciate your honesty. I would imagine that I would imagine that uh, my Instagram is not going to give you, you know, the true. Are you this wh- this old man in the second picture? Is that you? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that's Jacques Pepin. Who's that? Wow! He's one of the most famous chefs, and uh, that's uh, he was the chef with um, Julia Childs. Oh no! Oh. kidding. He was one of the biggest. He's probably one of the first TV American TV. He's French, but he he was one of the first major chefs to be on television. Yeah, he and he's uh, uh, he's a, he's a chef Boyard. Yeah, I mean, he's a Jock Papan's a legend and uh he's and it, uh And he's, he's your daddy? No No, he's oh. he's not my dad at okay. all. He's, <laughs> <laughs> my father's dead, thank you for bringing that up. I, oh, I oh, am hey, so starting off on the wrong foot all I'm, my, I mean, my dad's oh dead too. Dead dad club, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sorry. I'm just trying to turn that into a positive, like not not that I'm happy my dad's anyways. Okay. Well, all right, cool. So he's he's on your Instagram page, I assume, cuz he's using one of your knives, is that the thing? Yes.
3: Yeah, Jacques Pepin has one of my knives and it's a it's an honor that he has one. And he used him in a, a recent video, so. Wow, that's it was awesome. really cool.
1: Right. So Jeff is uh I mean so a uh, knife maker to the stars almost. I mean, for those of you who knew who um Carl Ruiz was from the the Food Network, uh who passed away suddenly, was that like a year yeah. and a half ago, Jeff, I feel like? It was
3: Ah. Uh, yeah, we're coming up on two years in September. Yeah. He was a so, good friend.
1: Yeah, so he worked with Jeff to create a knife called the the Bandito, right? That's the, what it was. Well, we the did name.
3: two we did two knives. We did the Cuban knife, which was kind of well, like Cuban, a, right, right. a chef knife. Ham with ham, com- Swiss cheese.
4: Kind of yeah, toasted. That's the Cuban right. Sandwich. Right, yeah. <laughs> yes.
3: And uh based off of a like a mix between a chef knife and a fighter. And then uh, we did really well with that. And then uh, we did a smaller version. He wanted to make a small. He's a, he was quite a character, and he wanted to make a knife for tailgating and home defense. So we made the bandito. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so, wow. Yeah, that's
3: like yeah, a shot, sh- sawed-off shotgun. Yeah, so it was this, kind of like a sawed-off shotgun. Yeah. This, this is, is your crazy. full-time full-time
2: gig. Just do knives
3: full-time. Yeah, Fader Knives is uh, the name of my company, and I've been uh, making custom chef knives for about seven years. Um, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I team up with a lot of chefs. I, I don't do a lot of uh, like um, fighting knives. I do mostly uh, culinary stuff. I went to culinary school, and all my friends are chefs, and my business partner uh, was a chef, and it's allowed me to. I like. I like the idea of making knives for people to use. And some of these yeah. kind of yeah. crazy knives are a little bit. You know, they're not really for me.
2: Is that like the mark of a high end chef? Like you're not really high end if you don't have someone hand make your knives for you.
3: No, it's all horse. <laughs> I mean, you, you, any. You know, you can. You if you can If it takes the knife to make you a good cook, you you're. You know, something's missing. I think that. What happens is, is with a lot of chefs is they like certain, all knives are not created equally. And a lot of people like what they like, not like what they support, they're supposed to like. So a lot of times you'll, a uh, chef will like something specific. I know Italian chefs who like Japanese knives. I know Japanese chefs who like, you know, Western style knives. It's all kind of preference. And then, you know. You, when you're in the kitchen, a lot of times, um, if especially when everyone's wearing all whites, it's 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 considered like the you know the new pair of uh, Jordans. You know, you have some <laughs> kind of crazy colored knife or something crazy. You, it's, it allows you to stand out in the kitchen. But mm. most of my customers are actually home cooks. Oh, you know, is this nice
2: is for... um, this is a true story. So when I was in college, I was working at a uh, Applebee's, and. I worked my way up, you know, through the ranks at Applebee's <laughs> and I became the, um, most people do. I became the bar manager. And I remember one time the regular manager was gone and somebody was coming in for an interview. So I had to step in and interview this guy who was going to be a cook. I knew nothing about cooks. Okay. And this is Applebee's everything you put, you put it in the microwave and like heat it up and dump it on a plate. But this kid came in and I was interviewing him. And one of the questions he asked me is if he got hired, if he could bring his own knives to work. And I, I just thought that was the weirdest thing. First of all, because it was Applebee's, <laughs> that just seemed really weird. And I'd never like, I didn't know that was a chef thing that you had your own knives. And so I was a little afraid of him, and I didn't hire him. <laughs> wow.
3: Yeah. Well, you know, usually you know the, the restaurants aren't in charge of your, you know, your knives. You, you, really? You know, it, like in most restaurants, you bring a knife roll, and it'll have all the things that you need, and it's kind of your stuff, as opposed to getting like you know, these inexpensive uh, factory knives that, you know, might not be what you need. But I mean, in an Applebee's, I I would think that was a crazy question to ask you as well. Okay,
2: good. So (laughs) I I I was right for thinking it was crazy.
3: Based on the restaurant that you were in, you were 100%
4: (laughs) right to not hire him.
2: Okay, well, and then to continue on that story. So this guy didn't get hired. That wasn't the only reason I didn't hire him. He was also kind of sketch and shady. Well, Mm -hmm. then like a week later, he comes back in. He's not sitting in my section, but I was working. I was in the back that night. And he came in with his girlfriend and their kid, I think, and they ordered a crazy amount of food. Just went nuts, drinks, food, everything. And then they got up and they just left. Yeah. They didn't pay for it. Dine and, and, and so dash. somebody came over and was like, these people just, you know, dined and dashed. Well, I had his name and address on his flipping <laughs> application.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I just called the police and gave him the information and they showed up at his doorstep and he got... I don't know if you get arrested for that. I don't know what they did, but you get a warrant. <laughs> yeah, that
3: must have been a real. i I would imagine the, your feeling of when they left and you like the light bulb goes up, saying, <laughs> "I have his resume." Yeah, I have I so his happy. resume yeah. here. <laughs> I guess that must you. have been like an incredible feeling.
2: And I told the cops on the phone. I was like, "So here's his address, but watch out. He's got his own knives. He's
3: got knives." <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I, that part was made up, but I should have said that.
3: Yeah. Next, you know, I would think time. that I would think that that would be the the feeling of, but wait, we got his we got his resume. Let's go get him. That would have yeah. been a great feeling. It, it was a like, great feeling.
2: I felt wonderful. You know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Jeff, what is the? I mean, from <laughs> is there? I assume there's an unwritten code or something that when they bring these expensive knives into the kitchen, you know, there's there's usually there's some unsavory characters back there washing dishes and things that could walk the you know take these things cameras or is there you know people just you just that's something you don't do is is snake a, a chef's knives
3: you uh actually i uh my friend carl ruiz who had passed away i had made him the prototype uh, bandito he had it at his restaurant and he was going for a cigarette he they fired a guy and the guy they fired just grabbed that knife so the original bandito knife is in like you know queens oh. somewhere or what? or is or is his, <laughs> his sous chef told me his, his sous chef told me it's probably Exhibit A down at, uh, you know, down in the tombs in Manhattan. But no, I mean, I've had plenty of knives stolen. I have a lot of oyster knives go. My a lot of my oyster knives get stolen because they're easy to put in your pocket. Right. So wow. yeah, you, yeah, you definitely and don't nick want your to bring, femoral artery. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, you don't. You just put it in your pocket. You don't. Jam it in. Your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> They're small enough they can gently go in it. place it. <laughs> an oyster knife is generally not sharp, so it's it doesn't really it wouldn't oh, have. A, I didn't know that. Uh, that makes
2: sense, I guess, because you're kind of like shoving it towards your hand, right? Well, yeah.
3: a, a, an oyster knife is c- closer to being a pry bar than it is to being a paring knife. Oh. Yeah. Okay. If you want to get into oyster talk, there's actually there's two styles <laughs> of opening oysters, and the second one you're gonna the one that people do is. Where they put it into the hinge of the oyster. Yeah, you know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about? That's yeah, like called a butt shucking.
2: D- Euro style hinge.
3: <laughs> no, there's the, the, you put it in the hinge and then you pry it open and it like pops like the pressure. That's called butt shucking. And then the other oh. type is you actually kind of, it's a thinner knife and you go through the side and then you pry it open. Those are for different types of oysters. Really? So, yeah. Because the thinner, but like oysters shucking. are. Butt is like for the, I mean, that's an industry, that's not an industry standard expression, but it is, it is, you know, commonly known as butt And there's a difference because all oysters are raised differently. Like farm raised oysters have a very, uh, they're, they're harvested at a younger age. So their shells are very fragile. So you want to go through the side and then mm. pry it open gently you, if you butt shuck a, a very young oyster you hey, end oh. up you could, you could you could go to jail yeah. 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 why do i feel like the fbi is now listening Yeah. wow well, i mean the problem is is you just don't want to break the shell so you want to kind of go through the side and it's a little bit huh? more of a it's it's better for the younger farm raised oysters. A, <laughs> uh, wow
1: <laughs> but you you sell the butt shucking ones or you can use the ones you make I do, for i do i sell both entry. because
3: I sell both because I um, actually I learned about opening oysters from the side for these chefs down in uh, uh, the Chesapeake Bay area. So i okay. doing I do them both. Mm, so, wow! But it's good, you know. It's it's but in regards to being stolen, I've had I had a chef knife stolen off a truck a few months ago. I've had probably about five or six of my knives stolen. A guy just sent me a message saying one was stolen out of his car. I said, "Well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, (laughs) I am not really. Can't guarantee that. that. No, there is no like LoJack in my (laughs) not. They're not microchipped. Apple Tile. (laughs) But I wonder. I wonder when people tell me. I wonder if they think I am going to have some pity and maybe I'll. I feel terrible. I'll make you another one. Like that's the only reason. Like if I got one of. If I had one of your pieces stolen from me, I don't think I'd let you know."
2: Yeah. yeah
4: right. I certainly because
3: wouldn't make would
1: another the, one for free. Yeah, unless well, they I were mean, contacting the
2: you thing. to say, like, "Hey, I need you to make me another knife. my other one got stolen." that'd be different, like if they are wanting yeah. to like purchase another one, but right. But when your car gets stolen, you don't contact the auto dealership and it's like, "Hey, guys, can you pass
1: me another truck) Mine <laughs> <laughs> contact I mean, your insurance <laughs> company.
3: You have no, people, ask, I mean, I have, I don't know if you guys do, I'm sure you guys do, you guys are have like a huge Instagram following, but all the people who are asking for free stuff, knife makers, nobody, nobody, nobody gets hit up for free stuff like a knife maker. You know, so, so I would imagine that a lot of people ask for things. I would think if you get your car stolen, I would be surprised if you, like, <laughs> but I love that car and it's sentimental value. You have anything on the lot that you could give me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
4: Wow. Key so up.
2: in knife making, is there, because looking at your Instagram, a lot of wooden handles, is there a specific wood that like does really well for knives in a kitchen, kind of wet environment, getting washed and cleaned?
3: Well, I do too, we What we use a lot of is, I use a lot of is a stabilized wood. So oh, it's wood okay, that, yeah. I don't know if you, yeah, you guys know yeah. all about stabilized wood. Mm-hmm. Some epoxy and yeah. Well, there's a chamber, on a vacuum like chamber. Percocet or something.
1: Pressure pie?
3: <laughs> no, it's there's a vacuum chamber filled with like cactus juice, which is like oh a yeah resin. yeah yeah, and then you you submerge you dry the wood out for a long long time so there's no moisture, and then like I dry I dry mine out in a kiln um, until it reads below you know ten percent you know whatever the moisture meter doesn't read to anything anymore, and then I put it in the chamber, fill it up with cactus juice weigh it down, and then you turn on this vacuum pump and it sucks out all the air. And then you see the bubbles, and as the bubbles are subsiding, then as there are no more bubbles, you turn it off, and then you see the exchange wherever there was, bu- you know, you, you see the, the level of the resin drop, and then that's kind of taking up all the excess space in the um, So wait, the define cactus juice. Cactus juice is just a name of a very uh, good resin that comes oh, Okay, like- so it's not yeah. like saguaro
2: milk or something.
3: No, this is like a, it's a, it's a kind of like a, the hot, it's like the, it's like a industry standard is not the right word, but it's, it's a, it's a resin that's well liked. It's a really, really great stuff. And, and, um, so what happens is, is it depending on the wood, um, you will have something that won't be able to expand or contract with that said, you know, um, I, it's not, it doesn't turn it into like petrified wood. I have uh, wooden knives, uh, lots of burls and stuff like that and burl handles and uh, lots of uh, highly figured like tight grained uh, walnut and stuff like that. Um, but in the kitchen environment, I usually tend to send people towards G10, which is like um, what I like. It's a kind of more colorful um, fiberglass. Oh. Yeah. But you can't oh, – none of this stuff you can put in the dishwasher. That's the one thing about these these custom knives – I'm, when I started making the knives, I was doing you know most because I was a blacksmith. I was forging knives. My customers wanted to not have to deal with uh, steel that would patina and potentially rust. So I got really involved with uh, stainless steel. Stainless yeah. steel is great because you know it still holds a great edge and it's it's really you know easy to maintain. But you can't you still can't put them in the dish machine because you know the epoxy that you're using the detergents oh, interfere yeah, with the yeah. epoxy and even if you have stabilized wood the you know the wood isn't doesn't turn in it's not like petrified wood it's yeah, it still right. can be chippy it still can be you know the little there can be little voids and stuff like that so i tend to tell professional people to I, if unless they're going to be very careful and maintain their their handles and their steel then they should go with G10 but a lot of them like wood anyway
2: mm, well the wood looks nicer my wife just bought some fancy knives from a friend or online i don't know but when she got them, they came with this little instruction thing, and it was like, these are natural steel or some kind of steel. They'll patina over time, but that's what they're supposed to look like. And she gave me a lecture, like, don't put these in the dishwasher. Well, we had some yeah. people staying at our house, and we were out of town this last weekend, and they obviously used one of these knives, and we came back, <laughs> and she opened up the dishwasher. I was upstairs, and I heard her scream, and I thought she was like dropped something on her foot or saw a mouse, but I came downstairs, and she found this knife in the dishwasher. And it literally looked like it was like you picked it up off the bottom of the ocean.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's, wow. It's, it's called carbon steel. So most yeah. steels, most, all steel has carbon, but high carbon steel alloy has a lot of carbon in it. And what that allows you to do is it allows you to make, when you're making the knife, you can actually get the steel hard. Now, just to give you a little bit of idea. So you, if you took a, you can't just make a knife out of like a piece of rebar at a construction site. So if you have like if you can imagine the steel from a uh, coat hanger, when you bend it, it stays bent, right? But with a knife, you want it to flex. So what you have to do is you have to heat treat the steel. So all these carbon steels and stainless steels have a, a specific temperature where you're trying to get the steel to, and the iron carbides go into solution, and then they, um, and then they kind of it it. Then you quench it, and when you quench it, it I'm going to give you. I'm giving you too much science right now, but I'm going to give it a very easy explanation. <laughs> no, I'm, lo- I'm, lo- I'm gonna loving you, this. I'm going to give you an explanation that you're going to understand, and your listeners are going to understand. So, so you bring the temp, the steel up to a, spe- a specific, a critical temperature where all the iron carbides go into solution, and then you quench it either between plates of stain of uh, like for stainless steel, you can use. Plates of aluminum, or you can have different types of oil with different viscosities and different temperatures, and then what that does it stops everything. It 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 it, 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 it turns the Austinite night into Martin said. Okay, all right, I'm gonna explain it in an easier way.
4: I'm gonna, no, because it's stress.
3: Listen, because people like start to fall asleep, and I'm gonna explain it in a way. If you've ever had creme brulee. You know what creme brulee is?
2: Okay, now you're speaking my language, yeah. Okay, Mm. see,
3: I I got you. Now you're going to (laughs) understand. You're going to be a knife maker by the end of this podcast. I'm telling you. So if you take a a, a bramekin of creme brulee and then you sprinkle the sugar on the top, right? Uh Uh-huh. The sugar granules have no connection. They're just bumping into each other. There's no, it's like sand, right? So that is the way the steel is before you go in the heat treatment. You have to imagine that the sugar is iron carbides. When you take the torch and you, you know, start to warm it up, you start to notice that the sugar all starts to melt and then it coagulates. That's the critical temperature of the sugar, which is the same thing as the steel. So what happens is, is the iron carbides go into solution, just like when you put the torch on the sugar. And then as it cools, it gets hard, right? It's no longer Mm -hmm. a liquid. It's no longer a solution. It becomes this hard crystal structure. That's what happens when you quench the knife once it's at the critical temperature. That's that's heat treatment. So you're basically transforming the sugar from this grain into this crystal structure, but you got to get it to a specific temperature that the uh, iron carbides need to get into that solution. Does that make sense? It yeah. does, but what happens I, I alone,
1: when but, you but either now. quench it... To- <laughs> Quench it too, like uh, in something too cold or something. Like when on Forge and Fire, I see these guys, like I assume when you dip it in something, it's not supposed to burst into flames.
3: Well, the Forge and Fire thing is a, is a what happens is, is, let me <laughs> yes, get in Yes, we're going to get in There's two things going on with Forge and Fire. One is they like to see the sparks and the flames. Hmm. But that's not necessarily good. So what happens is you get your steel to a specific temperature, either with a kiln or a forge, and then you submerge it in the oil, and then you agitate the steel. You agitating the steel because what happens is is like, it's it's boiling the oil that touches the outside edge. So you want to bo- you want to shake it up and down. Because what that'll do is that'll prevent what's called a, a vapor jacket. And then what mm. happens is, is if you pull it out too early and it's still hot, it ignites the vapor. So that's mm, why there's wow. flame. And that doesn't do anything. That's not actually. That's ultimately not good for knife making. So you want to, <laughs> you want to, you want to bring it down below. You know, if you're quenching a knife at, you know, 1500 degrees, you want to get it below 700 degrees within like, you know, 13 seconds. So that's how you transform the steel to being from being soft and malleable to hard. Now back to your uh, back to your knives that were the, the, your guests screwed you with mm-hmm. the steel. <laughs> the, the, those are high carbon steel knives are traditional knives that were made before they were doing doing stainless steel. And what happens is they it's just like raw steel. And what happens is is as you're cutting with you know acids or anything like that, you can develop a patina which looks great if you just let it go or you keep it in the sink or something like that, the patina goes from patina to rust. Yeah. And yeah. that's when it becomes a problematic. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, carbon steel cannot carbon steel can rust within 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, it, it sat in our dishwasher, probably soaking wet for like three days. So
3: yeah.
1: Oh boy. Oh man. It was
2: pretty rusty, but I took it out to the shop cause I was like, I can't ruin it any more than it's ruined. Right. And I hit it real hard with steel wool and then some, like, 2,000-grit sandpaper, and I actually got it cleaned up pretty good.
3: There's a new product out. It's not that new, but it's new to, like, uh, tool restorers. It's called Evaporust, not a sponsor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Evaporust is awesome on Yeah, they sponsor
0: uh, Lightning Queen
3: they're <laughs> rust is those those dudes are awesome and a lot of guys use them for like you know restoring axe heads and stuff like that but like it really does take away the rust and you would end up with like a maybe like a nice texture on your your knife without having to mm-hmm. get all the strokes out of it
4: okay. Yeah,
1: jason why don't you just call them and tell them it was stolen maybe they'll make you a new one maybe, <laughs> right maybe yeah
0: can i get another one <laughs> hmm. A couple months ago well, my wife and I bought a carbon steel pan and along with that pan they sent us a carbon steel knife. And it's the first carbon steel knife I we've ever had. It is the sharpest knife I've ever <laughs> used. I don't I mean probably by far like the easiest thing that's ever gone through any piece of chicken or any <laughs> meat that we've ever <laughs> had.
2: Like Is the chicken but, alive or dead?
0: It was alive.
2: Okay, that's impressive.
0: Oh, I, no, <laughs> that's <silly> no. <laughs> it was my neighbor's rooster. It it crowed one too many times. Oh man! I, I will say though, my neighbors have a rooster that does not stop cr- uh, like calling or crowing or what. I don't know what their what the verb is for their cockle doing doing cockle doodle do. Yeah, all day long, every day, like a hundred times a day. I'm like, man, chicken nuggets sounds so good right now. <laughs> Mm.
1: Is the rooster a
3: little little
1: tough? The to meat on
0: those.
3: I What's the point care. of having a rooster if you're like? Are you, I don't know. I'm assuming that you're living in like a non-rural area. I'm
0: a little bit rural. Like we have, like my neighborhood has uh, acre lots, so it it's like kind of spaced out. But and I mean, we're not you like out, out, the, out in the country. Call the
2: city and ask if roosters are allowed. Because I know that roosters. They don't. Are,
0: it's I'm Kentucky, not, dude.
4: Everything. Yeah, I'm allowed. not in the city, man. Um, I'm in the well, country.
2: Well, we're in the country, but in our technical city ordinance, you still aren't allowed to have a rooster. And oh, my, really? My neighbors had a rooster, and it was really annoying. And so I called the city on him. And no, more, <laughs> no more rooster.
4: Dang! You know? I wish wow, that the ruthless. guy who had
3: the rooster was the, also the guy who like was at was applied for that job at Apple. Yeah, he might be. <laughs> it would have been pretty sweet I've if got you got his him address. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's it's not double jeopardy. Be great. That'd be pretty good. So
0: double jeopardy. <laughs>
2: I'm ruthless. No, I wouldn't have cared. Normally, I don't care if you have a rooster, but it was like right when we were trying to get my son on a flipping sleep schedule, and the rooster was just spoiling the plans. And I finally got fed up, and I was like, "I'm going to be that neighbor.
0: I don't care. Go oh, yeah. do it." Well, my neighbor <laughs> that has the rooster still gives us eggs, so we're like, uh, from, the oh, rooster, yeah. would, no, from the rooster, I would question. No, not from the rooster.
4: <laughs> no, but back so to the Jeff, knife. The, oh, the, yeah, go ahead, the, please.
0: I was going to say the carbon the carbon steel knife, we will mm. use it. And like I, like you said, I'll sit it out with it being wet from whatever we used. And I'll notice just like surface, right? like patina will come up like wow. within 30 minutes of it just sitting out on the knife block.
3: I'll give you a trick that you can do. And I've done it. I do it a million times. I love it. It's called, it's a forced patina. And what you can do is you get a sponge and you get mustard. Uh, French's mustard is good and Grey Poupon mustard is good. And then you wipe the knife down with soap and water and then you put some mustard on your sponge and then you dot it. You dot it and do an even coat on both sides and then you let it sit for like I don't know, five minutes and then you wash it off and then you do it again and you'll get this beautiful, even texture and it's a Hmm. forced patina that doesn't look like... The problem with the carbon steel knives when, you know, if somebody cooks a certain way... A part of it's patina, but now the rest of it isn't. So I started right. mm. to do the forced patinas on mine because it gives a scaffolding for the patina to develop. Like these, oh, okay. some of these bladesmiths—they're they're so obnoxious. They're like, it's the it's the soul of the knife. Oh, get the get out of here. Man. <laughs> Tell it to somebody else. You know, we're living in the real world here. I mean, this isn't like you know Musashi for Christ's sakes. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, give people what they want. But if you do that, you take a sponge and then you dab it and even. And then you let it sit, do it three different times. You'll get a beautiful, uh, you'll get a beautiful pattern. And it's a great way to, actually, the patina will actually protect the knife from rusting to a certain degree, as long as you just wipe it down. So
2: hypothetical. Okay. Go ahead. My wife's an artist. Could I give her a small paintbrush and a dish of mustard and she could paint like a mountain scene (laughs) on the knife? Yes,
3: yes. Wow. There's actually, you could you could also do, you could do, mustard is the food, obviously food safe, but you could use, um, you could use gun blue. I'm not hundred percent sure how like safe it is for gun food, Gun blue is terrible for, for you. <laughs> well, I mean, but no, what happens is, is like, as you can, after a while, you know, as long as you kind of neutralize it, it should be fine. I, I know knife makers who do use gun blue and then. They have a specific technique that they use, but the mustard is perfect. Like Uh, There's also different, like I, you're going to, this is funny, but one friend of mine is a knife maker out in uh, Barcelona and I spent some time with him and he was using the cheapest mustard he could find. And then my friend down, my friend um, Boot Hill Blades down in Kentucky, not too far from you, Jared Thatcher. He's like, you got to get the gray poupon. You got to have the real high. You got to have the high end Excuse Dijon me. mustard. So now I use both. I have the. I do one layer of French's, and then the next layer will be of gray poupon, and you get this gradation. It's a different. It's a. It's a really great gradation. It's awesome. Wow. But if you wanted to protect your carbon seal knives. And without having to fool around, a sponge and mustard. I mean, how easy is that?
2: Yeah, that's a good that's tip crazy. right there. I'm going to try that on my next tabletop. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you should. You should. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Instead of rubio, I it, mustard. I s- yeah. assume it works on oak. It probably, maybe it'll pull it'll the, tannins the tannins out. It'll bring out the
3: tannins. Yeah, yeah, in, in the white <laughs> oak.
4: <laughs> but I mean, anything with
3: acid is going to, uh, anything with acid is going to discolor or patina the. Oxidize the right word piece. We say patina because we want to be, you know, artists, you know, that's sure I mean. <laughs> But, uh, but it's like, you know, you could use a lime, but mustard is the easiest to apply, yeah, for sure.
2: Well, because it's thick, it's not going to run all over the place.
3: But you want the right. peaks and the valleys because mm. when you blotch it with the sponge, the places that there's less is where you're going to have the more patina and you're going to have the better texture. Oh, okay, what fascinating.
0: Yeah, right. I've got a project this weekend.
2: I know. I'm going to mustard up my, <laughs> that, that knife tonight and see what happens. I'm excited.
3: But like pop, you want to like really do an even. You want it to even all over the place so, it, so it'll look great. And do, do it like three three times. Uh, you, you won't, uh, and, and wash it with soap and water in between. Okay. Yeah. And let it sit for like 30 minutes? Um, <laughs> you know, you can do, th- I mean, the, the the longer you have the mustard on it, the darker it's going to be. Mm. But the better is, the, it's better to do like three <laughs> coats. Okay. Like shorter, like, like you could do 10 minutes a, a coat, five oh, to 10 okay. minutes a coat. And then you'll get, if you do the second coat and the third coat, you'll have more of depth of field. Wow.
2: Ooh. Oh, man. All, All these things go. I didn't know. This is fast. There you that. go.
3: Easy stuff. All this stuff you can do yourself. That's a life hack. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a real life hack. None of these bullshit life hacks. <laughs> <laughs> How to master DIY views. crafts. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? I like yeah. You go.
2: I like it.
1: But Jeff, you do um, most of what you do. I mean, you do forge some stuff, knives, but most of what you do is, what do they call it? Material removal?
3: Stock removal.
1: Stock removal. Okay.
3: Right. So you're so, buying
1: pieces of steel and then- Go ahead, you tell.
3: Well, so forging is taking a piece of steel and putting it in a forge, and then with a hammer and an anvil, you're actually manipulating the mass. You're changing the mass, and the idea behind forging was always back in the day was about the you know a material wasn't easy to come by. If you were making it, you had a very limited amount, so you had to use the economy of forging. To save all the material that's why the difference between hidden tang knives and full tang knives hidden tang knives you don't see the entire profile of the knife and the steel it's kind of embedded in the handle a lot of that was because you know it was material was not easy to you didn't have steel mills you had to like you know rake the sand and you know melt it down and try to find (laughs) some steel but so stock what forging is is you're forging the material and then you're putting the handle on whether you know an integral knife or a regular knife whatever kind of knife so stock removal is is you're you're buying the stock size. Like if my chef knife is has a two inch heel, and I want it to be three thirty seconds, I'll buy a stick of three thirty seconds by two, and then I'll kind of cut out the profile, and then I'll grind the knife and grind the bevels and drill the holes, and it makes it a little bit easier in terms of the economy of my time, plus kind of giving mm-hmm. a little bit more value to my customers. So you know I I don't want to be I mean, of course, I'd love to make a million dollars, but I don't really want every knife to be a career. Mm.
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like every piece of furniture I build, it seems like. wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> you, know, right? <laughs> <laughs> you said it, KJ. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Even, even when i full-time, I still, everything's a making a career out of each one.
3: Brutal. Well, I mean, I'm, 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 the, the knives that I make, I really try to provide value. I grew up in Manhattan in the in the late in the early 80s and I was very I was exposed to artists like Keith Haring who was an artist who did crack his whack he did the you know the graffiti that ended up on you know from you know absolute bottles all he was like so well known and it, he what it was really interesting that he was able to bring out art out of the galleries and make it approachable so I've always really liked the idea of being approachable, and part of that is also my price. I'm not trying to like, I'm 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 kind of middle of the road on knife makers, and closer to the lower end in terms of the price of my knives, and I kind of like it that way. That way, that's how I get first-time knife buyers and like you know home cooks and stuff. So,
2: what does just curiosity? What does like a average knife that you make? What do you charge for that? If you don't mind me asking. I mean, asking?
3: like, I mean, I would say four hundred dollars. Okay, that's not not great. that's not crazy. crazy. Yeah, I mean, what I goes have, into have, I have, you know, oyster knives that are under $200. You know, you can get an, you can get a, you know, an outdoor knife for me for like 300 something, but like a, you know, an like eight inch K tip is like 420 bucks plus shipping and tax and whatever. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not crazy. I'm not, you know, it's, it is a lot of work and, and I do all the heat treating and I do all the, Must, I do everything. Mustard dabbing anything. and all that. I do the mustard <laughs> dabbing. And you know what, you know what? I don't charge extra for the mustard. If oh, you I was going to say is that like a an I'm telling you because you can... I I have customers who here's the interesting thing is a lot of customers when I talk to them do you know the difference between carbon steel and stainless steel and they, generally they'll say no and then I'm happy because I some of them lie. Some of them say, "Oh, I know all about it." and I only <laughs> and they have no idea. So when I when I'm t- kind of like talking to a customer and kind of trying to get them into the right knife. And like I said, I mean, 95% of my knives are stainless steel because that's what people are used to. But when they start to do the carbon steel and they're interested in it, I say, listen, here we can do this beautiful patina and it'll be a great scaffolding for the patina to develop. And I don't charge extra for that. I, I'd rather, you know, give somebody something that they like. And it, it what, it's I mean, like, I dab it with mustard and I walk away. And I dab it with mustard and walk away. What, am I going to charge you 50 bucks for that? I, I would. Oh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, do you go through the same thing? Like, because, I mean, I know I do. Like, I'll go back and forth with a customer on a project, back and forth, that this and that, add this, take away that. And then they just walk and they ghost you. You don't hear anything. So... You know, do you get a lot of that where you get inquiries and then you answer questions back and forth 10 emails later and you got nothing. Have you ever heard I of made... a
2: deposit,
1: Keith?
3: <laughs> well, I, d- well, before you, you it's interesting you say that because I'm fortunate enough I have a business partner who deals with all that. And that was like the best decision I ever made and we, oh, now okay. we also try to make the knives very easy to buy directly online. So that Mm -hmm. allows you to even to custom order something. So there's a lot of questions that don't need to be asked. So now we're at the point now where, yeah, of course, we get a guy who wants Damascus and he says, Yeah, you know, I get a lot of times people don't understand the terminology and then they think that they do, and a guy'll say, I use a fifteen inch chef knife.
4: A fifteen inch (laughs) chef knife is like
3: well, because when you measure the size of a knife, an eight inch knife is from the tip to the keel. Yeah. So you hear that, I always get these buzzwords, I'm sure you guys too, you, they, they say a buzzword or something like that as in like, I'm industry, I know. Because mm. when I cut my, what I, see, I hear all the time is when I cut my protein, they talk about their, you know, their, <laughs> they, when I cut my protein, I only use this, this, and this. And like, please, just don't talk about your protein. Just say you're cutting your chicken or whatever. You don't have to get, you know, don't get. We're not in, you know, this isn't like Alain Ducasse for Christ's sakes. Just, you know, just tell him talk to me like a normal person. But what we do is, is my poor business partner gets crazy requests. We get crazy requests for, like, I wanted to make, could you make me the Rambo knife? But I want it to oh, be a yeah. switchblade and I want the saw <laughs> teeth to be real teeth. And I get, we get crazy shit like that all the time.
2: <laughs> like real human teeth?
3: Well, I mean, like I was being, I was exaggerating, (laughs) but they, but they, but it's like, it's, it's mostly, you know, it's like, can you embed, you know, I want the, I want
2: the saw teeth to be real human teeth. Don't worry. I'll provide the teeth. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah well i mean you do we get some oddballs it's a lot of a lot of people like i guess a lot of people like video games so there's a lot of video game knife requests oh, we yeah, don't um, under, we're too old my stuff. partner and i are a little too old to understand what they're talking about yeah <laughs> from
1: can i get the Fortnite the, blade in,
3: to answer your question keith is um we do get a lot of like people who we used to get a lot of people and they would talk and talk and talk, and it got to the point where you realize this person just wants company. They don't. They're not planning <laughs> on buying a knife, like we've had. That. And um, luckily for me, I don't have to deal with those. You know, sometimes I'll get stuff in the DMs, and I try to tell people I really can't do business in the DMs because it's just so. It's so hard to figure out what everybody wants, and I make so many different. The guy says, "Oh, don't you remember I said I wanted this?" I'm like, "Dude, I don't. know. Who are you? You gotta send an email. This isn't is, work like this. I Seriously. can't do this. Right? Oh my god, you. But I mean, I don't have people. We've had a couple people put down deposits and walk, and I just leave it. Up. I just finish it and I leave it. on And if they come back, they come back, and I don't really get crazy. I, but, oh, that's crazy. but we can. You can buy directly from my website or pre-order from my website, and that makes things a lot easier. But what's your What's your website address?" Faderknives.com. Oh, that's
2: some solid. Yeah, okay.
3: Fader Knives. That's right. Nice. And a Fader nice. Knives on Instagram. And, you know, it's fun. The whole thing. So, what's fun. your
0: uh, what's your favorite knife when it comes across your, your uh, I don't know, order inquiry? You're like, yes, I love to make this knife.
3: I'll tell you what my favorite, like, all, I used to say that there's no such thing as a one size fits all knife for the kitchen. But i developed this knife called the. Uh, it's a K tip. A K tip is, you know, the the European style knives. The way the profile is, they taper like a like a like a leaf almost to the tip, where the spine comes down and it almost matches the profile, the radius of the cutting edge. A K tip, the spine is flat, and then it breaks at the last inch and a half, and the okay. so the the point of the point of the knife is lower on the center line of the knife than other knives oh, okay the eight inch k-tip is my favorite knife and i have that's the one i have for that i i the the reject i have it for me and that is my favorite knife that's what i tell people is like the not the bigger knife you don't, don't worry about the bigger knife at, at eight inch k-tip but i do like getting calls for forging knives i do like doing integral knives um that's where the integral bolster is is kind of flowing out of the handle and It's really kind of the blacksmith's knife, and I like doing more. F- I my I was traditionally trained as a blacksmith, so I like to do more kind of blacksmithing stuff. Creme brulee, oh, yeah, cool. yeah. You know, <laughs> creme brulee, well, creme brulee. I actually made a creme brulee. Uh, I made a uh, a forged a a, pr- a creme brulee broiler, which was like a, a a dish that you would put in in the for in your I guess your fireplace, and then you'd hold it over the creme brulee dish, and that uh. would melt. It would melt it also. Hmm. Yeah.
1: That's next level. I
3: mean, you know, you can just use a torch to. It. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> I like <laughs> I've it. I've done
1: all. some I've done some forging with you I've been fortunate enough at your shop. We you know, made some bottle openers up there which is like is like if you follow I mean obviously follow Jeff, but guys like CJ, I'm sorry, Cliff Dufton, uh is it CJ Dufton on on C. Instagram? CJ right? Dufton, yep, CJ Dufton. Um Where he actually, you know, he shows the evolution of where you're starting from with just a blank piece of steel and then what happens in the six or seven steps to get to that final bottle opener and what you have to do to get there, whether you're drifting the hole. And and it's the weirdest thing as a woodworker working metal because, like Jeff said, you're just moving the stuff around. Like, it's not getting any bigger, any smaller. It's all the same material there. You're just manipulating it into the shape that you want. Whereas in like woodwork and we're sanding stuff off, we're chiseling this, we're chiseling that, we're cutting this off or we're gluing this to it. It's just a, it's, it's an interesting thing and it's tiring, Jeff. It's tiring. Hammering well, you away. Just did it, you
3: just <laughs> did it one time. You just did it one time. It takes you I know, know, it's it, like I anything tired. else. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's very similar to uh, ceramics because you are manipulating it. You know, a lot of times if like uh, a lot of blacksmiths will actually use like Play-Doh and they'll take a piece of Play-Doh and they'll use the hammer and the anvil because it moves the same way, just different, mm. you know, just a little faster. Obviously, he's not sticking into the <laughs> but, forge. I know Damascus like guys off. who use different <laughs> a colored... Uh, D- Damascus guys use different colored Play-Doh to f- work out patterns. and okay. So it's it's really just like uh, clay or Play-Doh except for the fact that you can't put it back. Like you, you can only really go in one direction. The best part about blacksmithing is that it's... It's the ultimate form of discipline because you have to be super, super organized. You have a very limited amount of time for this. You know, when the the steel gets hot, you have to know what you're going to do. You have to know how you're holding on the anvil and you don't don't, don't have time to fool around. So it's this, it's incredibly amazing discipline of organization that's, you know, it's changed my life.
2: Mm. My dad always said that spanking was the ultimate form of discipline. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah well what kind I of mean, spanking ultimate what? yeah I didn't say, did I say ultimate I, I don't know if I, is, I hear spanking is the ultimate
1: form
0: of discipline <laughs> anyways oh. let me ask you about Damascus because I've always I don't know if I've like been that oddball that is not necessarily a big fan of Damascus like I totally appreciate the effort and time that it takes to you know melt all of that different steel together and come out with that pattern and make it you know into something but i think there's something more pretty in my mind of just a really clean piece of of metal just really sharp clean nothing distracting like what is there any benefit to damascus at all or is it just you know cosmetic
3: You're not an oddball at all because I felt that I, when I, when I was, before I was a knife maker and I was working at the Center for Metal Arts, we never saw Damascus. We never saw it. We never made it. We didn't, I never really even talked about it. And because we were doing railings and it was more, it was more important the outside. If we're doing railings and stuff like that, you you care about what's on the outside. Once you become a knife maker, then you want to kind of like see what's on the inside. There's no intrinsic value to damascus except for it's the complete um control over the material okay. and you're especially when you're talking about guys like moreko momasi momasi fire arts he's one of my he's one of the best knife makers in the country he does what's called mosaic damascus where it's these incredible layers and then he forge welds them together and they make these patterns and they're very specific the it's about the difficulty. It's about the complete control over the material. It's very, I mean, Damascus is like, it's like making, um, you know, it's like baking to a certain degree. It's like making like croissant, you know? Right. You have like layers of butter and layers of flour. And then when they puff up, they have uh, they yeah. make that kind of pattern. So, right. you know, Damascus is very similar. In regards to performance, there isn't really, there is no like, there's no performance difference between that and then a mono steel or something like that.
2: Okay. Well, but a lot of like control. cheap knives now are doing like it's. You can tell it's fake Damascus. It's not really. It's like stamped on there just to look like. I don't know how they put that pattern on there, but it, you
3: mustard. Get, That's how they do I, it. You know what? I, I don't see a whole lot of like laser etched steel that looks like Damascus there is cheaper Damascus that's being made that they're selling well I knew this one
2: was fake because the Damascus pattern was going along and then a loop of the Damascus went into the logo and then went back into the Damascus pattern like perfectly like it was obviously like they yeah like I don't know if it was a laser or whatever what I'm saying? I can imagine. I mean, I can, or do you think somebody for this $10 knife really folded that into the metal? (laughs) There's,
4: there's
3: a lot of very, there's no, the answer is no. I I think that, I think that there's a lot of people who are figuring out ways to capitalize on the, you know, on the love of Damascus and you can give, you know, forge and fire a lot of credit for a lot of things. And you know, the, the desire for Damascus is in the fact that people even know what it is. Is one of them. Same thing with social media. But um, there's 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 cheap ma- Damascus coming out. I mean, you're not going to get a ten dollar. If you see a, a Damascus knife for you know, one hundred and fifty dollars, you know, you got yeah some. You got a. I don't. I've seen I, cheap Damascus made. I, so
0: because I saw um, you posted, you were on Epicurious a couple years ago, and I I watched that video earlier this week, and what that I think that. I think it was a 8-inch chef's knife. No, it was a serrated Damascus knife. And right. I think it was like $3100. That was
3: 3100 that was my the, I wrote that episode. Okay. And they they contacted me through there was another knife maker in, in Brooklyn who couldn't do it and he said, "Why don't you get Jeff to do it and I had to write the episode. Those Epicurious videos where they're like testing the expert, I'm putting air quotes in. They right, testing right. the expert. The idea was to kind of is to kind of bring uh, to light educate the the watcher and right. then it didn't really matter if i got it right or got it made it seem like they pulled me off the street it was like ridiculous i wrote the whole episode <laughs> so they wanted me to find they wanted me to find a damascus chef knife and I called Mareko Mamasi, and I asked him if he knew anybody. And they had like less than 10 days before they started sh- shooting. And he says, yeah, I made one for my wife. You want to borrow it? And I said, absolutely. Oh, okay. And he lent it to me. And I said, well, what would be the price? And he goes, ah, 3,100 uh, 3, bucks. But now, I mean, he sells knives. He sells knives for six grand. I mean, he's like- oh, okay. He's super- yeah. And that was, a, that was a real- You don't see a whole lot of- I mean, now- Three years later, you're seeing more people making more knife makers making serrated knives. And then you are seeing um, Damascus, uh, serrated Damascus knives.
2: Wow. When you're doing Damascus, is it always the same? Is it two types of metal, three types of metal? Does it always have to be the same metal, or can you use, can you do like bronze Damascus? Or,
3: well, is that a that's dumb a question? great question. <laughs> that's an excellent question. So, the what Damascus is. You know, they call it Damascus, and if you, you know, if you start, you know, if you, if you hashtag Damascus, you're going to get a lot of people from, like, the Middle East telling you that's not real Damascus. <laughs> what, what, what Damascus is is called really is pattern welded steel, and you have two different types of steel. You have high nickel steel and high carbon steel. So what happens is is when you, you you basically you clean them up, you super clean them, then you weld them in a stack, alternating stacks of high carbon, high nickel, high carbon, high nickel. And then you, you heat it up to very high up temperature and then you smash it under a power hammer or a hydraulic press and that forge welds it all together. And oh, then okay. once it forge welds it all together, then you can stretch it out like a piece of steel. And then what'll happen is as you're stretching it um, you know, it'll change. And then if you twist it or if you stack it again or you if you hit it on the side, you hit it on the bias, or you, depending on how you hit it, you can manipulate the passes to make Ws or to make all sorts of stuff, and then you just keep going and going and going. Now, once you make the knife, you forge the whole knife out. Because once you, if you forge welded everything right, it should be like when you hand sand it and you got it ready to go, it should look like a flat piece of monosteel. You right. dip it in ferric chloride acid. Not ferric. It's not acid. You sip it in ferric chloride, or uh, a ferric chloride and water, and the ferric chloride etches the high carbon steel, and the high nickel steel is impervious. So what will happen is that's how you get those uh, transitions between the dark, Um, which is the high carbon steel, and then the shiny, which is the high nickel steel, and then so the the ferric chloride etches it, so you get the topographical part. So, it'll, right. it'll eat away a little bit of the, uh, the high carbon seal. And then, when you, when you get it to the depth that you want, some people like it very light. Some people like it so you can scratch it with your finger. You can make it, you know, if, it's, if the Damascus is very tight, you get a chatoyance, very much like, a, you know, like a maple burl or something like that. And yeah. then, what you do is you <laughs> stick it in a coffee solution, and the coffee solution will, like, uh, instant coffee. I learned this from my buddy Mareko. Man, you use a a lot of food and forging and knife making. Listen, if you listen to Knife Talk podcast, the number one knife related podcast on this German festive planet, you can learn all this stuff. So, what happens is is there's something in the, the, not just, you can't just go get like a cup of coffee from like the store. You have to get like this you have to make this coffee solution. It's actually it's it's like um Nescafe Classico and it's like this in it's, in, it's this insane uh concentration. But what happens is you put the knife in you will get the the it'll it'll stain it'll stain the high carbon steel black and then the and then that's how you get the really deep contrast between the (laughs) shiny the shiny nickel and then the dark uh um carbon and that's how you make it very a big contrast and really great makes it very bold
1: man but i think like because moreko obviously is a master at getting these patterns to work like you know, So you have to figure, or like you said, people use Play-Doh to figure out ahead how when you're folding these and how it's ultimately going to look once it's flattened out. But there, there's there's a, obviously a degree of creativity and geometry knowledge that, that comes into play there.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, guys like moreco can see how the pattern is going to be. A lot of these guys... Once you learn how to forge Damascus, you can say, "Oh, if I just cut this this way and then swapped it over this way." Like Salem Straub is another one. Uh, Joshua Prince, these are guys who are like you know uh, Aaron Wilburn. These are you know the master bladesmiths and Nick A- Nick Angier and all these guys. They're really Damascus is their thing. And when 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 you talk about when you, we talk about. You know, for the consumer, is it make a difference? These guys love it. These guys do, uh, there's stuff called, there's uh, something called canister Damascus, where you're actually oh, yeah. putting um, <laughs> powdered, steel, you make a canister <laughs> and filling with powdered steel. <laughs> and then you're forge welding all this powder steel with the high carbon steel and high nickel steel. And then you can make like these incredible uh, blocks filled with all sorts of different shapes. You know, it's Di- Dip it really in some orange neat. juice. Excuse me? Do you dip that
2: one in orange juice? What do you do
3: with that? You could use, you could, you could add something in orange juice. The coffee just gives you the best results. Okay. Wow. Because
2: it's
1: dark. Feel are they like, uh, right. are they like snowflakes? Like no, every, no one is the same because every time it's just a little bit different. Sure. There's,
3: there's companies that are making, I mean, like. I got a carbon I got a stainless Damascus. There's a company that we deal with uh, it's called Damasteel out of Sweden and they make they make um, they make stainless high-end stainless Damascus. And it comes out every time exactly the same. I mean they have it's weird. Never, you get you can get bars of it and it comes out every you, people sell bars of Damascus and it comes out exactly the way it's supposed to come out.
2: It's so strange. And so you take it's that terrifying. and do your like t- material removal and use that to make knives? or
3: You can do that. I actually have a guy named Bob Rankin is a friend of mine, a knife maker, and he makes really nice Damascus. And I actually, when I when I get Damascus orders, I usually get it from him. Okay. Or, you know, you can get it from other places. But he, I like working with guys who are actually, you know, makers themselves. And I like to try to support as many, you know, small businesses mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Damascus sure. kind of like... It reminds
2: me of cutting boards in a way where you got all these guys doing these crazy cutting boards. So you have to think about it in the same way. Like you cut it one way and you got to glue it up and then you cut right. it the other way and then you got to glue it back together and cut it the other way. And you wind up with these crazy patterns and some of them are insane. And the thought that goes into it beforehand to see that pattern in its infancy and then, you know, wind up with it is pretty nuts.
0: Well, the, I would like heart, to think that most people don't think about it.
3: it just, It's just a ha- happy <laughs> accident. Yeah, Just cut it up. The chaos boards. When you're doing, you know, Damascus knives and you're selling them for thousands of dollars, you're, you're, the, the, the moments of failure are like all the time. I mean, you're, you're, the the distance between failure and success are like razor thin margins because you could forge this, Hmm. you know, you could forge out the whole knife, take days to (laughs) forge the whole thing, grind it out and everything like that. And then maybe you had a delamination in your in. Your, I was going to ask about welding.
2: delamination if that's an issue at all.
3: That is an issue if you haven't cleaned the billets correctly. Maybe you restack them and there's a piece of slag in the middle of it. And then when you forge weld it all together, that slag is like a resist. And then you're, you're unable to weld the whole thing, but you don't see it until you dip it in the... I had made a knife out of Damascus, and then I dipped it in the ferrochloride, and the ferrochloride ate away this like tiny tiny bit of steel and the, it, it relieved it released a release of delamination and it was like that's it no more done all that Ugh. time was thrown away wow it's a heartbreaker so the, that makes Ugh. the guys who do a great job i mean they're they're like they're they have incre- they're they have cast iron stomachs they can handle it yuck wow <laughs>
0: man let me ask yeah, you about um of- well, I, was gonna, I was gonna say jeff uh Along the lines of knives and like the grinds that you put on on knives for the profiles i I don't know the actual terminology of it for it, but like uh the one that we use all the time at our house for chopping everything there's no profile so what what's that called like is that full
3: what what do you well, mean no pro oh like it should
0: go straight from the tip or you know from the edge all the way to the the top. Of the blade there's like no relief so it's called a spatula
3: <laughs> <laughs> so if you're if so uh, a full flat grind is the grind from the edge to the spine and it's flat so it's like a very thin triangle right okay yeah. then you have if you ever see those knives with the little notches in them i like maybe like half an inch above the edge mm. that, That's called a granton edge and then okay. there, there's this other thing. I don't know if you've seen in like hunting knives. Have you ever seen like where they, where they'll mill out like a little groove, in yes. the in the top. That's yeah, called yeah. a fuller. That's okay. for a fuller. You know, they they say it's for strength and it makes it, you know, makes it a little bit lighter. Or like, you know, some people say it's like the what's blood, thing where you know it allows the blood to <laughs> blood <out>. channel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It yeah, the blood. I, I, I all <laughs> yeah. that bull to me it doesn't mean anything. But there's another other thing that's <laughs> very, with knife makers now, it's called the S-grind, where it's basically a fuller that goes through the middle of the whole thing, and then you end up getting more food release. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And then there's hollow grinds where you're, you're actually grinding your knife. I find on. that
2: the fuller I am, the more food release that follows. <laughs> <laughs> Just naturally. <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> just naturally, naturally. <laughs> <I> mean,
1: <laughs> but that's funny jeff you say that because every time i cut zucchini they just stick to yeah, the knife yeah that's what i, I have need with my more, knives i need more relief oh, but so, i don't know if it's it's almost like it's suction because it's so yeah like when you uh it's real annoying
3: well there's some people that's you know there's there's uh there's a good friend of mine his name is noah vashon he's up in can- in uh, montreal and he does these different grinds. He does the S grind. And he has a diamond grind. He has all these grinds. And he was doing this whole thing on, on food release. It gets to the point where it's just like, you just t- use your finger. I mean, just take it off. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you know, I, I think that sometimes the, these, these, the I don't want to say novelty. Because the knife makers that I know who make beautiful S grinds are, I mean, they're amazing. But in terms of for like the the user, I mean, they make them a little bit. They they makes the knife a little bit lighter, and yes, your potatoes won't stick to your knife. But if you (laughs) ever buy a knife based on how it cuts a potato, I mean, I just find that to be you know laughable. (laughs) You know, it's like ah, it's a great knife. I can't I can't wait to buy it. But I mean. The potato. Can't you can't know, O'Gratten with the this potato. thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. You know. My favorite
2: <laughs> knife that I have was made by my wife's <laughs> grandfather, actually. And I don't know what he forged out. He was always just like, he'd buy old, like, double-headed, um, like, antique um, double-headed axes and things like that. And he'd forge different stuff out of these things he'd just buy at antique stores. So I don't know what he made this knife out of. But it's got the handle, which is like a deer antler all made nice but then the actual blade like right above the handle there's a perfect little notch where i can stick my finger like actually it's not sharp right there but it's part of the blade and then it goes up above that into the blade but i love it when i go hunting for like skinning because you can put your finger right in there and it's like the perfect thing in your hand i love it
3: huh Mm. well there's you know a lot of bladesmiths start out forging with files Because files are, you know, big, especially like, uh, or rasps, rasp knives are, are very, uh, they're a great way to start because it's already carbon steel. And then you have something that you can just, you know, you can forge it out. And sometimes a lot of the really nice ones they'll have, they'll still have the artifacts of the, you know, the, the rasp so you'll be able to see the rasp itself you know in the in the blade and that's kind of nice too so there's all sorts of and you know you don't have to get it from a you know steel yard so like the old school guys used to just forge knives like hunting knives out of rasps that's like like,
2: uh trent presler's book he mentions a knife that he got from his father who was forged out of an old old file and it still had like the file impressions on part of it or something yeah, yeah they, some right.
3: some people make really nice. What's called if you if you were to forge a knife, and then leave a lot of the forge part on the top, and maybe just grind away part of the blade. That's called brute to forge. And there's a lot of guys. It's becoming much more popular. I don't know if you know Neil Kamamura. He's uh, probably probably the most famous knife maker on Instagram. He's a great dude. He's from, out of Hawaii. He's got long hair and does these chopping videos. And he makes knives for like um, Aquaman. What's Aquaman's name? Who was Aquaman? <laughs> I, don't Momoa, what yeah, is, I don't know. know, I don't know, know it, yeah. And yeah, he yeah. does like he keeps the forged part and it's very it's very it's becoming more and more more and more uh people really like the forged part. I started making more stainless steel knives because people didn't want it to be so textured they wanted it to be something that they're used to not something that looked like a caveman had done it but now that <laughs> these textures right. no it's true i people would be like whoa i'm not used to that that looks like rough and i'm like no, no, no don't worry it'll be fine but people yeah you know, a little, like little, little mustard on it it'll be good people want <laughs> a little character you need a little character yeah yeah so, sure. i love
1: the as forged look
3: yeah it's I great like it too, yeah i really like it
1: on hammers pounding you know hammers and knives it, it. it looks cool
3: the, the I mean as a blacksmith, the less grinding possible. I'm actually doing <laughs> these um, little friction folders, and they're all forged. The handles are forged, it's got a rivet, a forged rivet uh, the 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 blade is forged and i'm on the, I'm sitting on the grinder f- when I make these for like three minutes. it's great. no hand sanding, nothing <laughs> all, all hammered. That's wow, awesome. All. It's like rustic furniture.
2: Exactly <laughs> I was just say. Rustic, yeah. that's right. That's rustic right. Oh well, there's
3: there's the there's the thing is there's a lot of knife makers. There's a lot of stock removal knife makers who don't forge at all, but they'll take a ball peen hammer and then they'll texture the blade uh, to yeah, make yeah. it look like it was forged. And there's right, a lot right, of right. who's like beat it up a little bit. That's like getting yeah.
1: like real pine and then distressing it. Yeah. Oh my! Yeah, right. the, the, the yeah. Dragging some nails and chain chains dragging it behind your car right. for a little bit.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, people love that. People, there's that's a big thing. It's like, you know, and actually talk about food release. There's guys who, there's in the, the Japanese knives, like old school Japanese knives, they're so hammered that with the different dyes that they use on the, on the, on the, on the uh, their power hammers. They have these like indentations and they're beautiful, but they also act as a food release because there's, there's no oh. suction. So yeah, you could take a ball go. peen hammer yeah. and whip up on your knife, and, and then that's going to help you with your potato <laughs> cutting. It's going to look like and then, shit then head and to your pine
1: uh, table with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bois. Wow, wow,
2: <laughs> man, this has been fascinating. I literally before this conversation knew nothing about knives except you don't cut towards yourself, and that's right. I always thought <laughs> you cut your buddy, just, not your body. Yeah, I thought you couldn't just shove <laughs> it in your pocket, but I guess if you're stealing an oyster
3: <laughs> knife, that's okay. Oyster knives, yeah. yeah, can go in your pocket. Yeah, <laughs>
4: <Huh>.
3: <laughs> shoot.
1: All right, so Jeff, where can these, where can people go buy your knives, order your knives? Uh, slide into your DMs.
3: Fader knives on Instagram is where all my knives are. Um, the knives I put up and the stuff I do is Fader knives on Instagram, and then um, FaderKnives.com dot uh, com is my my is my website. And then I'm also, if you want to hear more knife talk, go to knife talk on Instagram, knife talk podcast on Instagram. And it's the knife talk podcast. And it's not so, we get a lot of questions about, from knife makers themselves. And sometimes it can get a little bit pretty intense, but it's, it's actually pretty, it's interesting. Keith, you listen, you used to listen to it at least. Yeah. No, I do. (laughs) It's one of the five I do listen to. And then, um, I do another podcast called uh, the Full Blast Podcast, where I actually talk to makers, and I, you know, I've started to, I've started to interview makers, but we don't really talk about what they have. I don't really it, it, it's hard to talk to a knife maker and just talk about you know their whatever drill bits they're using and then the you know whatever grit, grit <laughs> progression. So I'm right. kind of more interested in how they got where they got, and it's much more about you know, humanizing the, the maker. And I talked to a lot of makers like Keith was on the show and, and I, a lot of woodworkers, a lot of different types of makers. And it's a kind of a more of a, it's more of an interesting podcast in terms of, you know, interview style. Mm. Well, that's normally nice.
2: what we do on this podcast. We never like interview someone and ask them a bunch of questions. You're the exception. Cause I think all of us are so curious about knives. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> I Knife knives.
3: making is like knife making is really, really fascinating. And now, especially with forge and fire, yeah. And YouTube, There's, so, I mean, there's so many kids popping up making knives. Can you know, I ask
2: a question without please. being like, I don't, I'm kind of embarrassed, but I've waited this whole time because I didn't <laughs> want to ask. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> what is forged in fire?
3: Forged in, f- uh-huh. <laughs> in fire. Come on, man. I come swear, on, man. I don't know. I come have on, to know. man! Tell the, don't come on. No, this is a. I can't fall for the banana tailpipe. I swear, <laughs> yeah, to you. I you, have
2: have you don't no know clue. about Fire. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> right.
3: Forge,
1: don't be surprised. Forge Fire
3: is a TV show on the History Channel that's been around for oh, maybe. Well, see. How would I know that? I don't, who's got cable anymore? <laughs> well, I mean, it's <laughs> like you know, I don't know. Paper it's doing. been it's,
0: it's been around for a bit. Is it on Netflix? Yeah, it's been yet? around
3: for like fifteen. It's about fourteen seasons or so. Yeah, and it's and they what they do is they find knife makers, bladesmiths, to compete against each other to make these knives. Really? All kinds of crazy blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a it's it's a it's like a love hate. Re- knife makers have a love hate relationship with the TV show because it's great because it tells the you know consumer at large about black, you know, it's hard to see blacksmithing or bladesmithing on TV. When I was younger, I used to watch Jesse James or or Weld or uh, OCC, uh, Orange County Chopper's you know, American yeah. Chopper mm-hmm. was on. You know, you could see welding, but there was right. never really any blacksmithing shows. The only anvils you would see would be on like cartoons, Wily e. Coyote, and <laughs>
4: right. you know,
3: like olive oil pulling an anvil out of her purse. To, you know, knockout Brutus. <laughs> but what Forging Fire was that is the is you know it is a lot of really good makers competing against each other. The problem is is number one, it raised all the prices of anvils. Anvils are like oh yeah, the price of anvils now are ridiculous. Man,
2: this whole and, time I thought you guys I I assumed it was like a school that you guys were talking about like a school that people were attending. <laughs>
3: well, there are there are there are really good if you want to be if you want to take a knife making class, the New England School of Metalwork in Maine is one of the best um knife making schools. The Center for Metal Arts is another knife making school. And then the if you want to learn more about bladesmithing, the American Bladesmith Society, the ABS that's where you get the journeyman Smith and the master Smith designations. There it's a, they're really, there's a lot of great organizations out there for blacksmithing. There's a there's the uh, new England blacksmiths. These are all like, you know, it's, 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 they're very good organizations, but Forge and fires. The, the other thing is, is what Forge and fire did is it raised it, it. It scared a lot of insurance companies off of metalworking shops. Oh. So I have friends who couldn't, who, because of Forge and fire, their insurance dropped them because they said they had made they'd make knives. Oh wow. wow.
2: It's wow. hard to get insured as a woodworker if that's your business.
3: Is it? It's it is. is it? We we had to take a lot of wording out when we were getting our I had to take bushcraft out of our uh, you know my my <laughs> business partner did tease like you have no idea fighting what knives. Day. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't <laughs> no. do that. I mean, but it's like You know, you got to be real, you got to be real careful because
2: my insurance agent, when I was trying to get insured, told me that their biggest issue at the time was that I would occasionally make chairs and apparently (laughs) chairs are a huge liability point in furniture making. I had no clue, but they said it's the thing because people are constantly falling out of chairs, breaking chairs. I don't know, but. That's the issue that they had with me. So I think it was State Farm that wouldn't insure me, but they did refer me to another company that would. But it was this whole thing. So
1: Acme was it? Acme Insurance? That was like some <laughs> local
2: insurance company. It was probably just really trying to get clients and didn't care to take a risk. I don't
3: know. I had an intern a few years ago, and this this the school Carl. Carl, right? Was it that's Carl? right. Carl, Carl. That's right. You, you're you're good. So, Carl, this kid was wanted to be an intern here, and his school was. I said that we said that the school's got to insure him, you know, because it's going to be part of his insurance. So they had to have me. They wouldn't insure me until I talked to. They would insure Carl being outside of the school in my shop. I had to talk to the insurance agent, and she she thought because I was a knife maker that I'm like juggling knives,
4: or I'm throwing <laughs> knives against
3: balloons, or I'm carrying knives in my teeth. And I had to explain to her. I said the knives are sharp two minutes before they go in the box before they are shipped. Like I don't. They. they I said you don't have to worry about the knives. Aren't going to be the problem. And it, you know I explained the safety protocols we have <laughs> and everything that. But it, people, what people think that knife makers do. People also think that I'm like, you know, like a knife user. Like I'm like a, like a swordsman or something like that, which could right. be far <laughs> from the truth. It's oh like, man, I have no idea. Do not, <laughs> not a swordsman. <laughs> Wow,
2: that's
1: disappointing. <laughs> what a letdown.
2: Well, hey, I, I want to ask you about some of the gnarliest injuries you've seen in a knife shop, but I want to save that for the after show. So okay. if right. you're listening and you want to be a part of the after show, remember you got to go to patreon.com slash shopsoundspodcast. We're going to take Jeff. We're going to take a creme brulee, a croissant, and a nice cup of cactus juice, and we're going <laughs> to head over to the after show and have a little knife feast. <laughs>
3: Can I radio tease mm. how bad it's going to be?
2: Yeah. Do it. The mm-hmm. injuries
3: that I've seen are awful.
2: Okay. Oh, so I you're mean, not like, going to want to miss this. Dun, dun, I'm yeah. on the edge of my seat. Is, Even if you just sign up for Patreon for this one episode so you can hear these, it's going to be worth it. So make sure you do that and we're going to head over and, to the after show.
3: And you're going to be stunned at what tool is the most dangerous tool in the shop.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, boy. I can't wait. I'm guessing it's mustard, but we'll we'll save, <laughs> we'll save that.
4: <laughs> well, thanks, guys.
3: I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate it. This is this has been a lot of fun. Oh, it's been yeah. great. Keith, thank you, um, Jeff. Thanks who, for Who's being that on. sponsor again that we got
2: to thank?
1: Bits. Bits.com. Use the coupon code Morsels15 to save yourself 15%. I've been getting a lot of DMs from people saying they just bought a killer CNC or router bit and they save 15% and thanking us. so Yeah. Mm.
0: I also that's hear they tell cash. They, they tell great jokes if you ask them to yeah didn't
2: one of our patrons oh. ask for a joke like in the comment on his that's right on his order, they on said. His
0: order and,
1: yeah, and they gave him one.
2: Oh yeah they delivered yeah that company's awesome sending out Dunkin Donuts gift cards telling jokes I love it yep alright
1: they're one of us <laughs> well alright well we'll see you uh, in the after show yep Jeff you can hop in with me and we'll ride over together Carpool.
0: (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys in the next one. I love you.